Welcome back to the podcast. So this morning, I'm doing something a little different. I'm actually going to do a little bit of coffee talk with you. I'm here with my coffee. It's Monday morning. Monday is always, it always has been a big day for me because Monday is usually the day I'm making contact with you all, Viral Mindfulness Monday. And so this morning, I'm going to dive right into some fun, fall, colorful things. So let's just start with my brand new iPhone 11 Pro Max. I had to do it. I make video content for other clients and for myself. And so here it is in my hands. And it's really gorgeous, actually. And the camera capabilities, amazing. So I'm going to start with my dear friend Jude. He sent me a poem because today's the first day of autumn. So I figured we should read it together. So it's from Mary Oliver and it is called The Song for Autumn. In the deep fall, don't you imagine the leaves think how comfortable it will be to touch the earth instead of the nothingness of air and the endless freshets of wind? And don't you think the trees themselves, especially those with mossy, warm caves, begin to think of the birds that will come, six, a dozen, to sleep inside their bodies? And don't you hear the goldenrod whispering goodbye, the everlasting being crowned with the first tuffets of snow? The pond vanishes, and the white field over which the fox runs so quickly brings out its blue shadows, and the wind pumps its bellows, and at evening especially the piled firewood shifts a little, longing to be on its way. Ooh, that's so good. What about this phrase, the endless freshets of wind? Freshets. Oh my gosh, so today is a freshets episode of Viral Mindfulness. It's the first day of autumn. Thanks, Jude, for sending that. I am heading to do yoga soon, and I wanted to talk about, I guess it's a big deal, and so I'm going to pretend like it's not or I'm going to stop pretending like it's not a big deal. And I'm just going to share with you um, some ideas about sobriety and recovery and uncovery. Tomorrow is September 24th, 2019. And four years ago, I decided to get sober and try 12-step meetings and listen and pay attention and take input and suggestions and follow steps. And it's pretty crazy to me how my life has connected and transformed and some of the the lessons that I've actually learned in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous in Orange County, working with a official sponsor. And I just want to tell you a little bit about my journey and give you four beautiful birthday candle ideas that I feel like are significant for for what, what my journey has been. So before we dive into that, I wanted to talk about a couple other fun things. So this time of the year always reminds me of my friends Bryce and Melinda and their beautiful children. Hi, Solaris tribe, because it's Halloween and fall, and I've actually spent many of falls connecting with them, and who knows, maybe I shall find my way to Escalante, Utah, close to Halloween, to be with this witchy family. 
But my good friend Melinda, she and I have actually been friends since uh, when I was when I was in my last year of college in 1999 at BYU. We. I started dating her and I asked her out on a date. Well, I mean, I asked her out on a date and she's like, what, huh? You, a date? Aren't you, don't you date dudes? Don't you like dudes? And I'm like, no. And <laughs> cause I wouldn't, at the time I was like, no, I have same sex attraction. I am attracted to men and I'm not gay. Like that's a big difference. <sighs> And that's fun. So Melinda was posting on social media her excitement for um, American Horror Story, the FX series by Ryan Murphy. And it's called 1984. And it's taken us back to the slasher movies of the 80s, Camp Redwood up by the lake. So when I was a kid, I loved, it was like this love-hate relationship with Friday the 13th especially. We had VHS. We went downtown Salt Lake City to Stokes Brothers to get the videos. Friday the 13th, the first and the second episode. I was obsessed, horrified, intrigued, loved it, hated it. And so I decided to watch the first episode this week this weekend and it's horrifying it is so graphic and gory but it is so funny it is so good it's so campy and loved it I'm torn now do I keep exposing myself to such violence or do I continue to just enjoy it and have fun for the holidays so and then the second thing that I wanted to tell you about my friend Goldie, she has sent me a recording of her singing the theme song from Moana. So Goldie belongs to Amelia and Shane. And so if you follow me on Instagram and you were aware of my two-week road trip that I recently just took up to Northern California, I got to meet Goldie. She is the daughter of Shane and Amelia, and I haven't met her yet. <laughs> And so Amelia and I made plans. Shane was out of town. And so we met in Sausalito. Thank you, Amelia. What a memory. I will post some pictures and video at the show notes for you to see this gorgeous being, both of them. And Goldie is just adorable. And she calls me blue, as she should. And she loves Moana. And so I've got this audio. So here it is. Here she is singing the first part and introducing Goldie. I wish I could be the perfect daughter, but I come back to the water. And my heart, I try every turn i take every trail i track every path i make roll leads back a place i know and i cannot go what is love to be but the land the sky the sea it calls me no one knows far it goes yes goldie oh that's so good She's so adorable. She's so smart and she loves to sing. I love the lyrics. I've been staring at the edge of the water long as I can remember, never really knowing why. 
I wish I could be the perfect daughter, but I come back to the water no matter how hard I try. Every turn I take, every trail I track, every path I make, every road leads back to the place I know where I cannot go where I long to be. That's perfect. That brings us into today's main topic. I knew in 2014-15 that I was in trouble. I had been relapsing and not telling people about it. I was using crystal meth again. I was sticking a needle in my arm. And I truly, somewhere deep inside, really knew that I longed to be somewhere else, that there was a place for me to belong and to find a land of peace and purpose. But before we dive into the full shebang, There's one last item that is super fun and colorful and fall since this last weekend I was able to see Marie Forleo live in LA. She's on her book tour. Her book is out. Everything is figure outable. And I just wanted to give a plug because I went to the event on Friday night. It was so cool to see her in person. It was so cool to participate with the energy and the purpose of her her brand and her her book and I am a huge fan and I have I have taken steps since 2013 2012 is when I first found Marie TV episodes and she was teaching people how to build a business in life they love especially online businesses and I had moved from Utah to come to California to take my mindfulness my social work my therapeutic helping route to an online platform. And in 2013, I was stuck and came to her marketing and made the decision to do B-School, her premier business training program. And so I have been doing B-School since 2013. Every year, I usually tap back into the ideas. Last year, I did the entire program specific to doing online courses and specifically my first course on guided meditation. And it is amazing how every year, every time, every step I take, every time I go to Marie Forleo. So get the book, get on board uh, if it resonates with you, because there's tons of stuff for you to focus on. For me, she has really helped with my online business. It's a huge part of who I've become as an online entrepreneur. So let's get in to sobriety. It's my four-year birthday. (gasps) Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday, Mr. Blue. Happy birthday, Alexander. Happy birthday to you. Today's episode is sponsored by Season of Stillness, SOS. Have you been saying to yourself recently, I really need to start meditating? Or perhaps you've been wondering if you're doing it right. Or what exactly am I supposed to be doing here? 
Perhaps you're telling yourself, I don't have the time, or perhaps you're saying, I can't do it. Meditation isn't for me. I can't quiet my mind. I'm ADHD. Regardless of what you're saying to yourself, I would love to invite you on a seven-day mindfulness experiment. Join me with your email address for a free seven-day program. You and I can talk about the M word. You see, I'm learning from the research I'm gathering and the people I'm talking to that meditation, that actual word, it's sticky, it's icky, it carries a lot of baggage. It's going to trip you up. So what if we just talk about the M word? What if we give it a new focus? What if you're going to sit down for 10 minutes and listen? What if you sit down for 10 minutes and observe? Look, sit with, witness. I would love to have you join me. So head over to viralmindfulness.com forward slash 109. That's episode 109, today's episode, and you can subscribe with your email address and I'll send you all of the details. One of the coolest parts is that I have curated, hand curated the sounds of rivers and creeks from camping trips and put them together into audio tracks for you and I to practice together. The sound of the Virgin River at Zion, Onion Creek at sunrise, a beautiful creek early in the morning before the sunrise during the fall and autumn up Big Cottonwood Canyon in Utah. I would love for you to join me. Head on over and let's make sit happen together. In honor of Marie Forleo, Everything is Figureoutable, her New York Times bestselling book, even sobriety, recovery, four years, it is totally figureoutable. And it's not easy, but it's totally doable. I want to quickly go through the plot points and not spend too much time on the decade, 2005 through 2015, where I was up and down and in and out and all around with weed, drugs, psychedelics, shamans, uh, crystal meth, GHB, uh, chemsex, all kinds of interesting places. And then I'm going to move to that culminating 2015 before I made the decision to start 12-step here in Orange County. And then I'll give you four sort of main beautiful ideas that have guided the last four years of being sober. Plot points. So by 2005, I'm living in downtown Salt Lake City. I've been HIV positive for a couple years. I'm with my boyfriend and I had this brilliant idea that I could just, you know, use crystal meth and start by using a needle and sticking it in my arm. And so I started using meth and partying and chemsex is kind of a phrase that's out there that I will drop where I was using chemicals to connect sexually with other HIV positive men most of the time to feel and make sense of my experience. Jake and I started really struggling as a couple. We partied for a couple years. By 2007, I realized that I was in danger. I was in one of those Showtime HBO moments where I'm a therapist talking to some of my clients who are struggling with crystal meth, the very same situation I'm in, one of those weird, weird, unique moments. And I thought, I'm going to die. I'm going to, I'm in the same boat as my clients. So there's you need to do something about this, Alexander. 
You're no different. You're not special. You're not better than these people. You need to listen. So I started my way towards people for help. I started with my stepmom and my dad. They were practicing clinician types, teachers, personal retreat, meditation. I would travel to Hawaii and work with them and help others and use and do my own practice. I started exploring spiritual means. I talked to my doctor, my HIV doctor. I didn't do 12-step meetings. I was too frightened based off of being a therapist in Salt Lake in the community. I didn't want to open up about my personal life and put my professional life at risk. And so I was choosing life. My ex, Jake, was choosing death. He was moving into more psychosis. He was going off the deep end, and we were transitioning out of boyfriends into friendship. So by the time I hit 2008, I had been off of meth for a year. And mind you, it took two years of up and down, using, going a few weeks, using, going six weeks, using, going six months, using, going, finally, I put a year, I was still using other substances, particularly weed. And by 2008, I decided to try and see what my body could do on its own with without HIV meds to see if I could uh, make it on my own. And that was not... It didn't work for me. I received an AIDS diagnosis because my T cells dropped below 200. And so in 2008, I shifted into new attitude about this relationship with HIV and the help that was available to me. And then by 2009 and 10, I was smoking weed a lot. I was had a lot of issues underneath and I wasn't there yet. I went to see a shaman for a period of time to eat ayahuasca and to explore psychedelics as a means to understand my virus and this experience with HIV. Very helpful, hands down, one of those big time experiences in my life. That experience with a shaman, psychedelics is very different. And I do not see that in the light of drugs and alcohol and what I was using at all. It was able to give me a new experience and a new understanding of my relationship with HIV and the potential of what was possible. So by the time 2011 rolled around, I was ready to follow some intuitions to get out of Utah, to make a big change in my career, to take my business online, and I moved to California in 2012. Well, in 2012-13, I fell into relapse back on meth. And I was struggling with a lot of things in the transition and move. And then in 2014, my ex, Jake, was found dead alone in his apartment with too many drugs in his system. Six months later, my dear friend Weston had a major heart issue and was in the ICU for three weeks. Uh, I thought he would die, and I said his my goodbyes after I spent a week with him, made my way back to Southern California, Fortunately, well, fortunately for me, he came back to life in three weeks and uh, is still alive and very healthy today. And in that year, those items really threw me down again. I couldn't figure out my career, the online business, everything what seemed to be just I was running out of money. I couldn't find work. Things weren't working out here. I was interviewing and looking for jobs to get back to Utah. 
And in 2015, I wasn't talking to anyone about it. I was using weed every day. I had smoked weed every day for years. I often really fantasized about not having marijuana in my life. And I would go maybe 30 days or go a couple weeks and I just couldn't stay away from it. I didn't use alcohol very often. Um, I was drunk a handful of times in my entire stint. And so that pretty much brings us to 2015. There's the plot points, 2005 to 15. And, you know, you can imagine just by those plot points, like I felt so broken and I felt like I didn't belong and I didn't feel whole. I didn't have a place to go. I didn't have God to turn towards. I was bruised and damaged from where I had been in religion and God. And there was fertile soil in 2015. And usually fertile soil does well with a lot of pain. And I was in a lot of pain. I was hiding and I was ashamed. And I was sticking a needle in my arm again. And in 2015, there were several items that were in this fertile soil that I was able to hear and see and pay attention to. So before I go any further, I just want to tell you, if you are feeling broken in that place, look around you, feel the pain, feel it all, and look for the signs. There is fertile soil around you. Look, look up, smell, breathe, and take it in. What I saw in 2015 I'd gone to a concert in LA to the Disney Concert Hall, and I heard Cheyenne Jackson perform and sing and do a debut concert at Disney Concert Hall. And in that concert, he talked about his two year sobriety, dropping a seed. I knew he was talking about something similar, and I heard it. In 2015 of the spring, I went to Arizona for a family wedding and I connected with an old friend and he was sober two years. I knew he was sober, so I brought my vape pen and I was smoking weed out in the car without odors, vaping. And then I would spend time with him and he asked me if I wanted to go to an AA meeting with him. Yes, of course, celebrate two years, I'll go. There was another opportunity. I read an article, a Facebook post by Elizabeth Gilbert. She was talking about being in that place, the place I was, looking down at yourself and seeing yourself in that hole, down in the well, down at the bottom of the cave, needing help out. And she talked about, you know, cutting your hair, braiding a robe and throwing it down to that soul of yours, that I am the steward of my soul. It is my responsibility to take charge of my soul. I'll post that for you to look at the show notes. I had missed an event with all of my family, all of my siblings and my mom. My dad was not in the United States yet. He was still in Ecuador. They all went to a funeral, a family friend, and I was stuck. I didn't have a lot of extra money. I was in debt. I was angry. I felt separate and I felt isolated and ashamed and I didn't go and they were all there together. And during this weekend, I also had tickets to see 
Pema Chodron and Katie Lang and Tammy Simon at UCLA Royce Hall in June of 2015. I have been a big fan of Pema Chodron. I started listening to her material, reading her material, and then listening through audio in 2003. And so she was the first voice of Buddhism and the Tibetan mind training slogans that took me in a path of Dharma and teaching that really taught me a huge amount of information and opened my heart. Interesting enough, Pema Chodron's kind of awakening time was around the same age as mine, around the age of 40. And so here I was using meth and partying in LA and Hollywood, GHB, and my siblings are at this funeral. And I'm now coming down off of partying and being up for a couple days. And I have tickets to go to this event. And I made the decision to go. And I had a moment, um, a little bit of space away from the chemicals. And I saw Pema Chodron in real life. And she was just as glorious and beautiful and fun and insightful. And then Katie Lang is talking about her journey with meditation and mindfulness. And then she's saying, Alleluia. And I heard the voice of God in the music, which is the perfect place for me to connect with God. And she had a different sound than I had noticed before. So I went out one more night, two more nights, and I end up in downtown LA on like a Tuesday, early in the morning at some penthouse apartment with some guy and I have a needle in my arm. I'm preparing to do an an injection and I was like, you're going to die. You're going to die, Alexander. Jake's dead. People die really hardcore in this this path of usage. And I just stopped. And I didn't inject. And I just made my way to sanity, (laughs) which was tons of insanity before any amount of sanity. I came home, I took Xanax, I smoked weed. And my best friend, my best of all friends, Mr. John Harvey Cates, had the courage to to speak his truth to me. And he asked me, and thankfully in that fertile soil with all of those points, I said, yes, I, I answered honestly. He asked me if I was using meth again. And I said, yes. And I was so, I was so, I was so ashamed. And I was so in need of help. And then the next thing he texted to me within a few hours were my own words, my slogans. And he just said that he can't stand by and watch this happen. And he hopes that I can find a way because he wants to see me thrive. And thrive was the word that I had chosen for that year and was working on different concepts of thriving with HIV since those letters live inside the word thrive. And I just reached up and out. I called my friend. I went to a meeting. 
I started listening and I stopped using meth on the 23rd of June of 2015. And from there, I just started um, following suggestions and following the steps. And I smoked weed and I went to meetings until August. And then I realized they were talking about weed and everything. And so I got rid of all of the weed and everything. And in August of 2015, I was sober. And then I got a sponsor and I asked this man who was also HIV positive and had a similar history of me to be my sponsor. And I started going to AA meetings because I found a connection with a group of people. And I felt a belonging in a place where I could be my whole self and talk about everything. And they were encouraging me to look at my relationship to substances and the powerlessness that I had a problem, that my life had become unmanageable. They were encouraging me to have a belief in a power greater than me. They started using the word God and I was like, "Uh uh-uh. And then my sponsor talked to me about what God could mean and represents and encouraged me to just be willing and open. And so I gave it a shot. And on September 23rd of 2015, I went to a meeting up in LA and I thought, oh my gosh, I've made it 90 days without meth. I'm going to buy myself a beer to celebrate. I didn't even think anything of it. And so I bought a beer and I started drinking it and I had this really interesting experience and reaction to it. And then I went to a Crystal Meth Addicts Anonymous meeting and I realized, I, Alexander, you have a problem. And even though you may think that alcohol is okay now, the people around you with this meth propensity are sharing with you that they have done this decade, year after year, decade after decade, where they would stop using everything and then they would try weed for a while. And then a couple years into it, they would be back with a needle in their arm. So why do you think you're different than all these people? Like, shut up and listen. So I told my sponsor that I had a beer and I decided to start my sobriety on the 24th the next day. And so here we are four years later. It's crazy. It's so amazing. Um, I didn't even want to do this, but I'm here. I want to read you something. I have a friend that is working with cancer right now. And this is a friend that is very, very dear to my heart and to my circle. And here I am texting with her. And this is what she says to me. And I'm checking in with her about, you know, what's going on with her. And this is the reflection she sent back to me. And I realized, Alexander, your story and what you've been through and where you're at and what I'm choosing to to be and to put forward and to contribute, it's it's worth sharing. She said to me, Alexander, you've stared down the same boogie monster as me. She's talking about cancer. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? I've never had cancer. And then I just stop and listen and take it in. Take in the oneness from someone else in my life who has watched my journey. She says, you know what I'm looking at and how it changes you as it is meant to do. I'm embracing it all to my best ability and praying for God to make up the difference. 
So that's where I started, working on my God issues. Step three in the 12 steps. Tough work for someone like me who came from a huge God-wounded place. I was wounded and damaged, and I was going to have nothing to do with God. And so I just listened, and I went to meetings, and I kept talking about it and reading, and I met some friends in AA, and they just told me about their experience and their truth and their hope, and I started studying all kinds of forms of spiritual connection related to groups who are encouraging you to make a connection with a God of your understanding. Not, here's God, and God has this belief about you and this group and this sin and this life and this decision, and this is what heaven looks like. No, no, no. Groups and communities or religions, whatever, who were saying, you develop a relationship with God. Your relationship to God is yours. Be at one with it. Have the courage to follow. And so I took that. No one had ever told me that. And I was listening and I went with it. So I started reading the AA materials and very quickly I saw that God was a tricky word for me. So I thought, well, what if I just use some other words for now? So it said grace. And then I was like, grace, right? Fucking grace. F-G. Like, okay, grace. Perfect. Oh, feminine. I think God should be a woman. And so I just decided, well, we'll just go with it every day and we'll just let it evolve because I am in, I'm at the bottom and there's nowhere to go but up from here. And none of that other stuff makes sense to me. So why not just entertain every idea as it continually is handed to me day by day? Mind you, every day, pretty much, I was starting the day at the Bolsa Chica wetlands, watching the sunrise, and pretty much falling to the ground every morning, just crying, saying, please, help me. And I did. I was dramatic and ritual and Shakespearean about it. I would get down on my knees. In fact, I got down on my yoga mat with my best friend at the time. We're no, no longer interacting. He left town and he... That's a whole nother podcast coming soon. Uh, So we got down in my apartment and I just prayed like the AA 12 steps and the book said to do. And I had a spiritual experience. So did he. It was really interesting. And I loved that I was on my yoga mat. And so she turned into MFG because, whoa, motherfucking grace, MFG, and then creative intelligence and you know, uh, divine, the divine. So I started using these words and that was my connection. And I started doing the steps. I did step four and five and six, and those are seven, eight, nine. Those are big steps in the 12 step program. Well, they're all big steps, but those require some honesty and some working with your sponsor. So by, um, the, by 2016, oh, I had this crazy 2016 experience where this, coyote came to the front door of my apartment and ran off with my favorite little chihuahua. She was my little honey bear. She belonged to my brother and my sister-in-law and she was staying with me to get better and she was getting better and then she decided to, well, this coyote took her and chowed into her and 
we had to put her down and I was able to get her in one piece very wounded and wrap her in a blanket and get her to the hospital where I was met by my brother and my sister-in-law and medical care and we put her down and I said goodbye to her and wow that was huge and I remember just going to meditation meditation was a big part of my conscious contact with God and the divine creative intelligence and that's step 11 in AA 12 steps I remember just sitting and just trying to take all of that experience into meditation. And so then by the summer of 2016, um, my sponsor of 10 months stopped taking my phone calls and I saw it coming. I'd been through this before. And five days later, I received a text that he was dead, found in his apartment, asphyxiated. He had Um, committed suicide in his apartment by burning charcoal briquettes and putting them in a isolated place in his bathroom after 45 minutes and they were able to asphyxiate carbon monoxide poisoning. It's pretty common in the East. It's a very, um, anyway, I had to look it up to research it and I couldn't believe that was happening. And then I thought, well, of course this is all happening. Like, Welcome to planet Earth, like you would expect anything different. And I just would take it to meditation and I would just stay sober. And I made it to one year and that first year was really important for me to go through all those different seasons. And then I just kept with it. And every year I told myself that I would go tell five years of sobriety. And then at five years, I would get all my friends together for a a jury to ask them if I'm able to go back and see a shaman and eat psychedelics or if I can smoke a joint on a camping trip. (laughs) And all those friends who are part of my jury, most of them say no when I ask them my honest opinion. They're like, no, I don't think you should. So I don't know. Um, At this point, we have talked for 38 minutes total. And I would just love to wrap up with four main ideas that have really guided my sobriety. I'm tremendously grateful for the community of 12-step meetings. That's Crystal Meth Addicts Anonymous. That's um, Narcotics Anonymous. That is um, AA. I'm grateful for Refuge Recovery. I'm grateful for Dharma Recovery. And so thanks for listening to this part. And I'm going to push pause for just a minute to grab my four, you know, main pillars for you. And we'll finish with that today. All right. So item number one is this idea of belonging. I think that um, we all struggle with belonging. And I really think that part of the the being sober journey for me was to find a space where I could talk openly about everything. Every part of my personality and my life experience could be brought to the table. 12-step meetings totally did that for me. There was a place where I could go and do that. And there's definitely a lot of people and personalities, and you can fall out of that quickly, but that was the starting place. The second thing was working on my God issues. Um, I think that 
working the 12 steps and those first three steps were pivotal for me to work through the trauma. For me, that was very traumatic to be growing up in a religious environment where I was being taught that homosexuality was wrong, that I was being instructed that God had opinions, very strong ones, mind you, about me being gay. And from all of that, my wounding. And then once I got into my decade from 2005 to 15 with HIV and AIDS, I was living in so much shame. I am bad and broken. God doesn't accept me and never has. But I stuffed that all away. I was using drugs and um, and pushing that all down because of how deep and secret and the stigma and the shame I had no space to bring it to the light. And the light was really about turning towards a light that was bigger than me. And you can call it God. Uh, you can call it higher power. You can call it whatever. But for me, it became an experience of love, an experience rooted in a very personal daily practice of turning towards that power greater than me. And not listening to any other person, even my sponsor, to tell me what that relationship was like. And that relationship was about experience. It is built off of me being honest and having an experience with you on a daily basis, making conscious contact as outlined in step 11 of the 12 steps. The third item is connection, community. In the Refuge Recovery Model, which is the Buddhist 12-step program, or Recovery Dharma, which is a, another Buddhist uh, program for recovery, I have participated in both of those. And it's very different and very much another valid path. And that is my primary program at this point is Recovery Dharma. I work with a mentor in that program. And from those meetings, I learned that um, the idea of the opposite of addiction, my addiction, drugs, and also now I realize I have addictive, you know, places with sex and with devices and social media, food, relationships. Um, so the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. And to me, that's really important because I can get fixated on a community and be like, oh, this is the place. But see, I have added several communities to my life. So not only do I have AA, well, I have refuge recovery, I've got Dharma recovery. I've got my yoga studio and my yogis. I have the Smith family. <laughs> my family is amazing and it is community. I have my tribe of inner circle friends. I've got my middle circle friends. I've got my outer circle friends. So many places for me to connect. And then the fourth item would be about my contribution. What am I contributing? Because we're all contributing something and we're always putting something out there. 
And I have really fine-tuned what it is I am contributing to the world. And I'm very intentional about the words I use, about where I spend my time, about what we're doing when we're together, and what I'm sharing. And so the contribution that I'm willing to make day in and day out, and some of that is based off a very deep spiritual experience that I have set up where I'm listening to that power greater than me to that path and that 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 space that silence and stillness for direction and part of the direction right now in my life is teach people about mindfulness and specifically about meditation guided meditation and how using the stillness and the quiet as a means to explore the divine it seems to me that everything Every teaching, every 12-step, every meeting, every sponsor, every song. It's just trying to get us to be quiet and to listen. So, my friends, it's always a treat to be with you. I look forward to our next time together. May you go this day and may you be generous and may you be compassionate towards your pain. Because in your pain lies the medicine you seek. Namaste. Let me be your muse to music, mindfulness, creativity, and compassion over at my website, viralmindfulness.com. You can also find me regularly throughout the week over at Instagram. That's also at viralmindfulness.